turn in your Bibles to the book of James. Mentioned a couple of times, again, just the, 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 the heart, the intent, and the motive of James is coming from the heart of a pastor, an elder, the information that he has to communicate, and as we sit in these little sermonettes, so to say, they're very, very practical. So, by raise of hands, who's married in the room? Who has a spouse? Most of you are probably sitting next to your spouse. In your marriages, married people, has your marriage been free of emotional conflict? I shouldn't give you this confession, but I'll, I'll do it. Just cause, so I can make all of you feel better. I had an emotional conflict with Julie one time. I was at a New Year's Eve all-nighter with youth. I will never do it again. Head drunk, came home, had a conversation with Julie, crawling into bed. She said something. I heard something else. Turns into a conflict where it results in her walking away from the conversation and me punching a hardwood door and breaking my hand in exasperation. That's while I'm on staff at a church and a nonviolent man and the nurses and doctors telling me, next time, punch a pillow, you idiot. <laughs> James' advice in the very practical advice that we're going to sit in today, everything is revolving around our emotions. Your emotions are part of what God has given to you in creating you. Now, as you look at the room, we all have different fingerprints, and we are all as different in our minds and how we process through our, our emotions as we are different in our fingerprints. We all have emotions, but through life circumstances and depending on the, the conversation, who we're having a conversation with, sometimes we are, it's very easy to control those emotions, and other times it's, it, we find it extremely difficult. So James's practical advice is going to revolve around the emotions. But as he has already been in the different subject matters, as, as we go through his entire letter, you can have this framework that he is constantly, not poking at, but he's constantly dealing with the matters of the heart. He's not really focused on the things on the outside. But when you think about Jesus Christ in regards to your faith in him, your trust in him and what he has said, that's where the source of count it all joy when you fall into these various trials because it's an internal choice, right? He's dealing with your heart. And do you know who your God is? Do you know what your God has said? Do you believe it? And are you acting in accordance with whatever God is doing in you, right? This is his encouragement. So constantly he's been looking at the heart. Don't, don't elevate yourself another above or below another brother and sister. We are all equal in Jesus Christ, recognizing that we lack. So we ask God for, to provide for the lack that we have. God is the one who gives all perfect gifts, right? The, the, he is the giving God. All perfect good gifts and perfect gifts come down from him, um, 
our will, our desires, often they're, they're bent on things that aren't from him, but this whole promise that we ended in last week, like God has brought us forth. He has created us through faith in Jesus Christ, in his image. He has brought us forth according to the truth and the power of his word, and we're going to sit in his word again today. But in emotions, in conversations, this is, this is what we're going to be dealing with today. This is extremely powerful. This is extremely practical. Husbands and wives, you ought to be taking notes. If you're not married, you ought to be taking notes anyways. You have children. You have conversation with parents. You have conversation with peers. We're going to get very, very practical in this. And before we get into the text, just by way of confirmation, in, in my life this week, and in training at work, for t- I had a two-day conference that was revolving around, it was called Crucial Conversations. So here it's a, it's a, from a secular vantage point, but it's at my work, which is a Christian organization, where the executive leadership team is desiring to invest in and mature us and how we communicate to one another professionally as every single one of us is aimed at Jesus. The work that we are doing is to advance the gospel in this world. And guess what? We still have conflict. We still have emotions. We still have disagreements. So even this week, I'm sitting in this subject matter as I'm sitting in the Bible. So let's read in James chapter 1, verse 19, and we'll finish the chapter today. And all of this is dealing with our emotions and the words that come out of our mouth and the actions around that too. So verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. You got a King James that says superfluity of naughtiness. Just sounds fun to say. (laughs) Overflow of wickedness and receive with the meekness, with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does." If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. All right, backing up to verse 19. This is, um, he, as James has been 
it, you know, just the words that he's using in this letter, he's used brothers a couple of times already. Last week in verse 16, he used the same phrase, my beloved brethren. Uh, here in verse 19, it's the same phrase, my beloved brethren. I'm going I'm to pause and just bring up this, um, pause on this word for a second, because this is what the emphasis needs to be. He is communicating to each one of us as individuals, as believers in Jesus Christ, that you are in relationship with who? With other believers. And the other human beings that we are united with in the body of Christ, who are they? They are beloved. They are the object of God's love. This is the same word that God uses for Jesus, my only beloved son, there's a, there's a very specific um, heart and relationship and attitude shift when you use these terms as you consider the other human beings that you have a relationship with. Now, this is not to be Christianese. You know, I have people call me, they'll call me Brother Blake or Pastor Blake. You know, we just use these words r really quick and we don't think anything about it. So pausing on this is just highlighting and bringing attention. As you look around the room, as you consider your spouse, as you consider your children, as you consider the other believers that you interact with, in relationship with, that drive you nuts, that you have conflict with, that you have opposing ideas with, they are your beloved siblings in Jesus Christ. We are begotten of God. We are all adopted by God. We have been unified in the name of Jesus Christ alone. So let that be the foundation of very emotional and conflicting conversations that you have with others in your household, and let's fill in the blank. Now, the exhortation is to what? that we would, every single one of us, that this is what we would be. This is an imperative. And it's quick to hear, right? But slow to what? Slow to speak and slow to anger. And here's the idea is may your ears be the first part of your body into the room, into the conversation. Be quick. Like if you think about being into a classroom on time, let your ears arrive early to the classroom, but let your anger and let your mouth be tardy. Like, just sit in that as, as, a, as a, just the picture that's being given. Let your mouth be tardy to the conversation. How many of us would have had less contentious arguments in our marriage if we just applied this singular thing? Let my mouth be tardy. But here's the thing. Why, is our why does our mouth rush into the room? Why does it rush into the conversation? I'm right. I'm being attacked, so I'm being defensive. I'm, I'm, being, I'm, I'm wrapped up in my emotion in this current subject matter, so I am without thinking, speaking, and acting. I am allowing my anger or another emotion to be the controller of the words that are coming out of my mouth rather than my ear. And here's the, even the practical thing of sitting in this week. We walk through a variety of ideas to kind of, you know, to put together a toolbox, so to say, of tools that you can have in conversation. And as I'm listening to what I, in the training that I was in this week, I'm applying it to the Word of God, because a lot of it is, what do you see and hear? 
in a conversation that you're having with another person, like, this is what I saw, this is what I heard, this, this is what uh, is going on. Now, in that information, we sit in facts and story. And this is really hard to differentiate between, especially when you're emotional. I will confess to you, I have gotten myself in the most amount of trouble in my marriage by telling myself a story about why Julie's doing what she's doing, why she's saying what she's saying, why she has this expression on her face, why she's ignoring me, right? I develop all of this internal information that may or may not have anything to do with her reality. And when I respond from my perception, and I tell her what she's saying, how she's saying, and what she's doing, and I tell her what she's thinking, she looks at me like, you're nuts. Where did all this come from? It's all coming from here, and I'm right. Anybody relate? Just me? So here's the Jennifer Warrior. So I was walking down the sidewalk this morning as Jennifer's coming into the parking lot, and there's a bag of trash. So some beer bottles, some beer cans, and they were nice, and they wrapped it all up in the bag, and it's tied in a knot, and somebody tossed it out of their car, and there it is. And she watches me pick it up and gets out of her car, and I, I hate trash. Again, I pick up trash on this road all the time. Something I just deal with. I don't, I don't have a story and a narrative behind it. But what's your story behind why somebody threw out that piece of trash on the ground? In a church parking lot grass, why, I mean, of all places to throw out trash. What kind of, what kind of story are you, are you immediately saying in your mind in regards to why an individual did that. The fact is, somebody threw trash on the ground. The story is, they may have just dropped it there as they were walking. They may have thrown it out the window of a moving car. It may have accidentally rolled out of the back of a, of a flatbed truck, right? We can, there's possibilities for the narrative. Or if somebody moves in front of you in traffic, what's your response when somebody moves in front of you in traffic? Do you get angry? Do you get irritated? Do you have some gestures? Do you develop a story of why that person just moved in front of you in traffic? Now, notice, I did not say that they cut you off. I didn't say that they, made, they, they, they didn't use their blinker. I didn't say that you're the one who's going slow. and I, I didn't say anything, but there's an automatic story that we develop about other people's lives. And when, you, when you sit in this, like we tell our, our brains are constantly going. This is why my kids are doing this. This is why my spouse is doing this. We tell ourselves these stories all the time. And that's exactly what James is attempting to prevent us to do. We are emotional creatures, and our emotions are good things. The Bible tells us that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, as we are in relationship with God, we are listening to his voice, but this is, this is what's required. We are required as followers of Jesus to be listeners. And to be listeners, it requires attention. It requires, I think, like, Julie, this is what I heard. This is what I'm thinking about. Like, here's the facts of what I heard you say. Here's how, these, here's how this has made me feel. What's your story? What, what, what's going on in, in you as, as you're saying this? this? That's how this made me feel. 
now giving her the opportunity to not just have a rebuttal and have an argument, but just truly being invested. I love my wife. My intention is to have a godly, fun, encouraging, passionate relationship with my bride. That's what I want. That's my motivation. That's my intent. I don't want to rule over her. I don't want to control her. I want her to be free in the Lord. I want her to feel loved and protected and secure. That's what I want. So if that's what I want, why would I act in any other way in a, any conversation that I have with her? Because I'm emotional and I'm a jerk and I get locked into my perspective. And here's the encouragement. All right, I need to be a listener. Babe, you share with me, what's, what's going on? What are you thinking about this process? We've had some very, we have this year major decisions to make as a household. Our sons are going to go off to college. Our daughter's getting married in December. We're sitting in decisions in, in everything that impacts that. So we have a lot of decisions to make. And in the decisions that we're making in the household, do you think that we have any conflicting ideas and how to move forward? Of course we do. But I'm not in it to keep my way. You know, there's a, there's a lot of these things I've learned over time through trial and error, and the Lord is maturing me and sanctifying me and changing me over time. And Julie, I hope, would bear the testimony that I have changed in regards to what I think, what I hear, how I respond in these very emotional conversations. But brothers and sisters, beloved brethren, let yourself be a listener, a learner, Sit across the table and tell me what's going on. This is, this is what I see. This is, this is what I've heard. I, I can communicate. This is, this is how I understand the situation and the circumstance. But you tell what, what's going on. What's your perspective here? My, in, my intent is for you to be as successful in Jesus Christ as, pos, as possible. My intent is not to control you. It's not to manipulate you. It's not to get my own way, right? We're talking about healthy relationships where there's a reciprocal relationship going on. And let's try and step out of the motion. No, I didn't mean it that way. I meant it this way. You know, correcting, always keeping that motive and the intent in the conversation where it needs to be, which is what? I want to be like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want, I want to be about Jesus. And as I interact with you, I think that you want the same. You, you tell me in this conversation what we're processing through of, like, what do you want out of this circumstance? And, and here's what I want. And do we need to have some compromise and discussion to get to the same place so that we can be in unity and move forward together, regardless of what that conversation may be? You're like, you feel all this, and you're, you're like, you can apply this every single day because you're emotional every day. And you respond to the alarm clock in one way. You respond to how breakfast happens in another way. The commute to work, the commute of sitting on Zoom, whatever it may be, right? We sit in these emotions and these conversations. This, this, we tell ourselves stories thousands of times per day in interpreting what we're going through. And this whole exhortation, quick to hear, 
Let your, let your ears be the first thing in every single conversation that you have. And these are your internal conversations too. And I don't think that this only applies to our relationships with other human beings. I think this has a lot to do with your conversation with your father. Would you be quick to hear the words of God and not so quick to hear your own emotions and your complaining and your questions and the whys and the, and the wheres and just all that, right, the tension that you have and whatever's going on in your conversation with God? Be quick to hear his words. Be slow to anger and response into what you believe and understand God is doing in your life. Let the words that come out of your mouth, even to God, sometimes, sometimes you just need to get it out. And God's there and he's, and he's good and he's going to walk you through all of that. Sometimes you really just need to sit and think and speak few words. And I'm preaching to myself here. I'm really good at rambling. I'm really good at going on and on. And you say, I know I listen to you every week. What are you shaking your head for, Asher? We're going to talk about you in a minute. We'll see how much of this I can apply to him. All right. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I, this is one of, this is a line that I have quoted to myself as far as I know, like my entire walk with Jesus. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. My anger is never going to accomplish, it's never going to be successful in bringing about the righteousness of God in your life. And what, what is the righteousness of God, right? This is that, this is that right standing, the, um, you know, it's, as we talk about God's, his holiness and his glory, his perfection, his grace, all the attributes of God, right? They're wrapped up in the, you know, only God is righteous, and this is this gift that he gives to us of his perfection, of his heart. But my anger is not like by putting you in a headlock and poking at you and yelling at you and demeaning you and whatever that conversation looks like is never going to bring about God's righteousness in your life. The only thing that brings about God's righteousness is you in humility and in meekness receiving the implanted word, which we're going to talk about in a minute. It's you in your relationship with God that he grants to you his own righteousness. And this is what stood out for me. So in the Old Testament, it's in Numbers 20, you have this story of Moses. So first time I'm reading through this context, and I don't know if it's the first time I was taught this passage. I don't know how these things were linked to me. I know it was another teacher, but it's just something like this is one of those lines that I quote to myself all the time to keep myself from being irritable and responding in anger. Moses is told by God, well, the people are complaining. Miriam has just died. The Lord has brought him to a place that has no water. And it says the people are contending. I mean, they're raging. They're complaining. They're poking against Moses and Aaron. It's, you brought us out here to die. We should have stayed in Egypt. We have no water. You know, this manna sucks. All, the, all that complaining and bitterness that's going on. Moses and Aaron take that, all those, that complaint of the people, and they go to God in prayer, which is exactly what they're supposed to do. It says the glory of the Lord reveals himself. God gives to him the instruction, Moses, I want you to take your staff. And again, this is the staff that turned into a snake. And there, there's a whole bunch of imagery associated with the staff and the miracles that God's performing and demonstrating that he's the true God and not the gods of Egypt. So this is, 
There's a lot of importance behind this staff. Go take your rod, but I want you to go and I want you to speak to the rock. And when you speak to the rock, an abundance of water is going to come out. Now, the first time God told Moses to do this, he told Moses to strike the rock. In this circumstance in Numbers 20, Moses was instructed to speak to the rock. And Moses comes out of that conversation with God in anger. He and Aaron go to the people, and Moses, you rebels, do I need to bring water out of this? Right? He's all attention on him now, his anger, his frustration, his wrath, and he strikes the rock. What does God do? Let's the water flow out abundantly. But then he says, Moses, come here, son. Because you chose not to believe me. You chose unbelief, is what he tells Moses. You chose not to keep me holy and hallowed and separate in the eyes of the people. But you brought attention on yourself because of your anger. I wasn't angry at the people. You were angry. And you use this instrument of my authority, and I told you to speak to the rock. Again, there's, there's imagery. This is the rock of Horeb. There's, there's a picture that Jesus is the image of the rock where he is the one that this living water flows out of. There's all kinds of imagery going on there, Old Testament and New Testament. Moses broke the image that God desired to present to the people. That act kept Moses from leading the people into the promised land. This is Moses. One act of disobedience. And he later on, he begs God, let me go in, let me see the land. No. Before Moses dies, the Lord takes him up on a high mountain in Moab so that he can oversee the land of Israel. And he dies there not allowed to go into the promised land after everything that already had occurred because of his one act of anger. So that for me is always, it's always preached to me, Blake, your anger is never going to bring about the righteousness of God in your heart and in your life. Your anger about somebody else's behavior, somebody else's words is not going to bring about the righteousness of God. So keep your anger in check. Yes, we have anger. Yes, there is godly anger, but more often than not, we're proceeding into ungodly anger, an anger that's motivated by the flesh. The wrath of man does not successfully produce, accomplish the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside, and this is that put off and put on language that is in other places in the New Testament. It has this idea, stop. Stop your filthiness, and stop your abundance of wickedness, your overflow of evil, of malice is the language. And here's the thing, this is, this is dealing with your internal thoughts. So Peter uses this idea of filthiness in 1 Peter when he's referring to baptism. He says, I'm not talking about the filth of the flesh. But this is the, the, the word here. Is this, this is our internal, um, how we stain and uh, make our own thoughts and our own words and our own uh, actions unclean, filthy. 
the, the idea of this, this overflow, so lack of self-control, right? Out of, out of me is flowing evil words. Out of me is flowing malice. And again, it's, it's focused on this. It's, a lot of this is focused on anger, but you can apply it to all different kinds of messages. And what are we supposed to do? That the, the encouragement is to receive. Stop abiding in filth internally. And again, this, is, this isn't, just don't go to areas of perversion. This is filth is just in any emotion and internal thought that is off in your relationship with God. Stop it. God, help me, right? I can't stop it. God, you get me off this little hamster wheel of thought. We need God to do this for us. And how is that done? To receive to yourself what? The implanted word of God, which has the power. It is able able to save your souls. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Amen? This, it's saying the exact same thing. It is a choice to receive into your heart the implanted word. Now, you can sit with Jesus in Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower, Right? He is the sower. It is his word. What are, what's the seed referred to as interpretation? It's the word of God. And then as he goes on in that parable, ultimately what is he discussing in regards to the seed? He's talking about the different kinds of hearts that it lands in. Is your heart hard? Is your heart soft? That, seed, that, that word of God, the words, whether it's the whole thing, a specific passage, as you take in that word to yourself, it's this imagery of a seed. It's planted. It's to be planted in a good heart, the heart that he has given to us. It is something that is to grow and mature and to bring about its yield, its fruit in its time. All this imagery in Old Testament and New Testament to receive this implanted word and again, the implanted word in regards to the gospel, power of God to save our souls, in regards to our emotions and conversations with other human beings, it's able to save our souls and our relationship, our psyche, even in the conversations we have, in regards to keeping ourselves unspotted and out of filthiness and not allowing you know, my own will and my own churnings and my own desires to pour out of my mouth. No, the word of God, Lord, let me think about it. Let me hear. Let me learn. Um, may it produce within me whatever it is you need it to produce within me in its time, in its season, according to your will. Oh, God, help us all. But I love it. it again, this is, this is the encouragement, and this is the choice. You can sit in your emotions, and you can respond in your emotions and all of your conversations for the rest of your life, and I guarantee you will be in constant depression and discouragement and in conflicts in your relationship. And if that's what you want, then you stay in these other behaviors. If you're looking to God in faith and seeing your lack and seeing your need and pursuing the Lord and seeking to listen to him through his word, Lord, this is where I need help. Speak to me. Plant your word into my mind, into my soul. Let it produce your righteousness, your glory, your grace, your compassion. Change the way that I speak to other people. 
I want to image you in this circumstance. God, help me to do so. This is, you know, the doers of the word and the doers of the work. So verse 22, we have the imperative to be doers of the word. Verse 20, let me start wearing readers again because I can't see anything in the little print. Whatever it is, the next sentence later on says, be doers of the work. This is where, you know, just the title for this, for James, is Jesus Works. Jesus is at work in our life. We sat in Acts, and it's his workmanship. But this be doers of the work. The word for doers is the exact same word for his workmanship, right? This word where we get poem from. It's what we make and what we do, what we produce in our life. Be a maker of the word. So take the instructions of the word and go and do that. Is that what Jesus did? Yes. Is that what we're supposed to do? Yes. Can you separate God's word from God's work? You can't do it. They are one and the same. A few weeks, we're going to get into the, you know, show me your faith Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. There is no separation between faith and works. They're not separate compartments. We're talking about the same subject matter. So there's no conflict. There's no tension. There's an interdependence between the word of God and the works that we do. But look at the, look at the analogy that he uses. He uses a mirror. So in this culture, you, know, you go into your house, you have mirrors everywhere. And you can see your reflection. You know, you got full-length mirrors. You have your bathroom mirrors. You have your hand mirrors. You have your magnifying mirrors. You have mirrors where you see your face a hundred times a day. Men, women, we have all stood before the mirror this morning. I trimmed my beard this morning. I was before the mirror for an extended period of time, looking at my face, trimming myself up to the best of my abilities. Leave me alone, Okay. I saw my face. In this culture, the best thing was a polished bronze. Most people didn't have access to polished bronze. They're not going to see their faces every day. They're going to see their faces in, you know, a reflection of water. They're going to have different things to see uh, a reflection. But for the common person, you know, this, this isn't a common item in every single household like it is in ours. But the whole, the, the analogy that he's drawn is when you see yourself in a mirror and you walk away from it, that, that image fades, you're now going about your day. But you've left, you departed that mirror, right? When you sit in there, and it's saying, you observe yourself carefully. And when it tells you to look in the perfect law of liberty, looking into the word of God, it has a, the word for look, it's stooping down and investigating and taking a look. So the same, you observe your own face carefully. You need to observe the word of God carefully. The, the same language is being used. The difference is you walk away from the mirror and you go about your day, right? Don't walk away from the word of God. Remain in it. Continue in it. Don't be a forgetful hearer, but remain in these words. Meditate on these words. Think about these words. Speak these words. Apply these words. There's a, there's a choice that we have in this relationship that we have with God, that we have with his word, and, again, our emotions and the words that come out of our mouth. And then he sits in this imagery of what? A horse. 
A rider and his bridle. Bridle. Is that the right word? I wanted, I'm thinking of a bride, and that just sounded really messed up in my head. So you have your brain, and I want you to imagine the, that reins of a bridle and wrap that bridle around your tongue, and that's what's being discussed. Your mind, your emotions, your psyche, we must have this bridle that is on our tongue. And again, it's don't let your tongue run the conversation. Don't let your mouth be the first thing into the room and into the conversation. Let your ears be in. Let your other senses, let the Lord be there in conversation with you before you speak in regards to, oh, these words that come out of our mouth, and he is going to bring this subject matter back up again as we continue to travel through James But if you think that you're religious, if you think you are a diligent doer, a diligent performer, you are devoted to the Lord, let this be a reality that you can look at yourself in the mirror. And yes, the Holy Spirit in relationship with me has a bridle on my tongue. You ought to be proud and boastful in your relationship with the Lord for the thoughts that do not escape your lips. You, you, did you hear what I said? Just, just to be really clear. It's not arrogantly boastful, but I hope that you have a certain amount of pride in your own relationship with God and with other human beings for the thoughts that zing through your mind that do not zing out of your mouth. Because I am... Um, You know, it it, it makes me cringe to think about all of the words that have zinged out of, zinged in my mind and zinged out of my mouth when I, I should not have said that. So the encouragement is in that relationship with the Lord as you're devoted to him in your, again, in your diligence, in your performing, in your doing Bridle your tongue. Don't deceive your own heart. Again, this is all the internal things. That religion is useless. You say that you love the Lord, but based on thoughts, based on behavior, based on what's coming out of mouth, um, that is not what the Lord is looking for to produce in your life in regards to his righteousness. It is vain. It is empty. But here is a description of what is pure, what is undefiled, what is unspotted in, in regards to the influence of the world, your devotion, the things that you do, the things that you think before your almighty God. And it uses this language to visit orphans and widows. And the, the word for visit, it's the exact, it's a synonym for you observe yourself in the mirror. You're carefully studying yourself in the mirror. You're looking at this perfect law of liberty, the word of God. You were stooping down. You were examining and looking. The idea for a visit is you are entering into, seeking out and entering into somebody's life with the specific intention of examining what's going on and then having this attitude, I'm going to help care for whatever the lack is. Now, I wasn't able to hold this loosely because I wasn't able to verify it. It was only in one of my dictionaries where it said that the root for this word orphan 
It was another noun that had that it meant darkness and obscurity. Now, I wasn't able to verify that with others, and you have to be really cautious in other word studies because just because it sounds the same or might be spelled the same doesn't automatically mean that that's the root. And like I said, I wasn't able to verify it, but I'm bringing it up to say that this is the image that is given for what an orphan is and what a widow is. This is these are individuals that have been bereaved and abandoned of a primary relationship that's necessary. For a child, they are they have been bereaved of the parent relationship. So we sit in modern uh, definition of orphans. You can have a single orphan where the father has passed away and the mother is now responsible solely for the care of children. Uh, those children are still defined as orphans. In our culture, it has, its, it has its challenges for sure. You get into more impoverished cultures and those challenges are amplified. A double orphan, both mom and dad have passed away. So here is the, the picture that is given is here's a child that culture places to the side, into obscurity, into darkness. Don't see, don't care, just hide it away because we don't want to deal with these things. The Lord is saying those are exactly the people that the Lord is hunting after. Those are exactly the people that he wants us to not just minister to as they come across our path, but to intentionally seek the obscure, the dark, those who are on the fringes, those who are on the outside, not to manipulate them, but to care for them and to love them. And that's what this word to visit means. It means I'm going to examine. I'm there listening in your life. I'm listening to their context and their story. I can't live out their faith for them. I can't live out their life for them. But I can stand there and walk as in stabilizing and wisdom, whatever that may look like for an orphan. And then the same thing for widow has an idea and an implication in our culture, but you stand in Eastern culture and, and again, in more impoverished cultures, the, the ability for a widow to be able to provide for herself and or any remaining children is very slim. The, the investment that we send to, to Zambia, we are investing as a congregation, congregation training widows in Zambia that live in a slum to teach them cultural skills that they can take and earn an income in their culture that's separate from selling their bodies, which is pretty much the only other opportunity that they have to earn an income. That's walking alongside of widows in their trouble, in their oppression, in their anxiety, in their lack. That's the image that God gives to us. Because what has he done for us? Every single one of us is an orphan. We've all been, we've been bereaved of the relationship that we need to have with our almighty God. And he came to us. He pursued us. He visited us. Our God took on flesh and became like us to tabernacle among us, to care for us, to provide for our lack, to pay the payment on the cross that every single one, we are incapable of paying the debt that we owe. Our God came and he stood in the gap and he provided and he cared. 
And now we receive that gift, his gift of life, his gift of forgiveness, that gift of transformation, the gift of sanctification, the promises that he has given to us now and forever. And that, that's blessing that we've received from him. What does that do to you? It, it elates me. Hey, we have conversations all the time. I can't believe what I did then, and this is who I was then. You know, all those, all those history. Look what God has done. That's why it's so much fun and joyful to worship the Lord, to come and sing these praises. Lord, this is who I was apart from you. This is who I am in you. It's, it's elating, right? And it's just all this gratitude and praise for God, for what he has done. Now, him in us, he is sending us into each other's lives so that when we interact with one another as beloved brethren, that we leave that interaction that spousal interaction, that parent-child interaction, that brother-sibling, brother-sister-sibling relationship that we have in this room, that we leave those interactions not with the consequences of our emotions, but with all of the blessings and the benefits that he has promised to give to us as we simply allow him to be who he is, to make us be who he desires us to be and make those right choices in the words that escape our mouth, how we listen, the actions that we do. Simple, practical. This is how a follower of Jesus Christ lives, as a listener and a doer of his word in his work. So help us God. Amen. All right, worship team, get up here. I shouldn't be so flippant when I tell him to get up here. Please proceed to the stage. Let us pray. Our great God, we love you. And we need you desperately. I, 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 Lord, I could write on a list right now a hundred conversations that come to mind where I failed, where I responded in my emotion, I responded in my sarcasm, I tore the person down, I built myself up, I let words proceed out of my mouth, out of control, unbridled, defensive, emotional, filthy. I've been all of that. I confess that to you. I confess that to my siblings. I confess these things, Lord, because I believe in the promise that you are faithful and just to cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. Through faith in Jesus Christ, through the repeating of your words of what's right and what's wrong. I am praying for myself and I'm praying for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would have, that you would do, Lord, whatever's necessary in each of us to cut off what needs to be cut off, to hammer out what needs to be hammered out, 
to bring about the trial, Lord, to, to refine us. That as much as it has to do with each one of us, Lord, that we would let you do your work. That you would make us to be who you want us to be. So that as we as we go through this life journey, Lord, and all these different relationships, that we would be doers of the word and doers of your work in each one of those relationships. Lord, I want my brothers and sisters to have the greatest relationship with you possible. So in my life and in their lives, may you take away from us all hindrances. May you remove from us just all the excuses, Lord. May you free us from complaining. May you take us out of the darkness, Lord, and just manifest yourself in your glory, in your light, in your truth. God, help us. We want to be like Jesus in his power, in his authority, in his grace, in his compassion, in his mercy, in everything we want to be like him. And that's only possible through your power. So implant your word within us today because we believe that it is able to save our souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.